So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. sermon is entitled, The End of Racism. And from there he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Zidon and entered into the house. And would, not have, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not right to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs eat under the table, eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, go your way, the devil is gone out of your daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Amen. And that is God's word. Now, as we wrap up the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark this morning, by now many of you know that Mark was writing with a definite purpose. In fact, until the end of chapter 8, the first half, the entire half of Mark's gospel is dedicated to one central objective, the demonstration of Jesus' authority. Mark's intent is to show the world that Jesus of Nazareth has authority over sickness, authority over the laws of nature, and authority over the demonic world. As a minister of the gospel, I'm here this morning to do the very same thing, to proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Now, the seventh chapter of Mark ends with the healing of a man who is deaf, and he has an impediment in his speech. But unlike his other healings, Jesus utilizes physical means to heal this person. He puts his fingers into his ears. He spits and touches the man's tongue. What is consistent about this healing with his other miracles 
is the absolute humility Jesus exhibited while performing them. In verse 33, it says that Jesus took him aside. Notice, as you read that verse, we just quickly go by this. Pause for a moment. Jesus takes the man aside from the multitude in order to heal him. And then in verse 36, after performing a miracle the world had never seen, Jesus instructs the man not to tell anyone about the miracle he had performed. And as the quintessential model and example of Christians everywhere, Jesus would not have put this up on Facebook, Instagram, created a storyboard for the world to see. Instead, he consistently, throughout his ministry, embodied humility, and once again through this miracle, he reminds all of us that the problem of spiritual deafness is not healed through the glamours of spotlights, but rather through prayer closets, solitary fasts, and on the side roads of life, away from the crowds, the spotlights, but alone with God. That's the Savior we serve. And what I just preached here were verses 31 to 37 from today's text. But today's scripture portion also contains verses 24 to 30. And that is a bit more difficult for modern ears to digest. Prominently because Jesus, in verse 27, identifies the woman asking for help as a dog. It's right there in verse 27. The woman, we are told explicitly in verse 26, is not Jewish, but rather a Gentile. A Syrophoenician by birth. Essentially, she is a Canaanite. A woman from a people group that Israel was expressly told not to marry and not to mingle with. What is exactly going on here in this passage? As many of you know, I just returned from Thailand, uh, did a mission with the army there. A land of over 40,000 Buddhist temples. And sitting just 15 degrees above the equator, Thailand's climate is hot, humid, bug-ridden all year round. And while there, the Royal Thai Army and the United States Army worked together as friends, promoting military cooperation. But history informs us that the two sides weren't always so chummy. Few people in the West know this, but on January 25th, 1942, Thailand actually declared war on the United States. And prior to World War II, Thailand had officially adopted a policy of neutrality. They weren't going to get involved. But that all changed in 1941. On December 8, 1941, Japan invaded Thailand. And just after five hours of fighting between the Thai and the Japanese troops... Thailand acceded to Japanese demands. And as a result, a mutual offensive defense, uh, defensive alliance pact between the two countries were signed, and the Japanese gained all of Thai's weaponry, stationed 150,000 troops there, and built the infamous Burma Railway 
through the Thai jungle using allied prisoners of war, many of whom died in the hot jungles while building that railroad. As I said, if you remember, Japan invaded Thailand on December 8, 1941. No one tells you that while you're in Thailand. The, the, the line that you get is Thailand was never occupied by an imperialistic force. That's not entirely true. Now, as Americans, we remember the day before that date with even greater clarity. Thailand invaded, was invaded by Japan on December 8th, but what happened on December 7th, 1941? December 7th, 1941 is still a day that lives on in infamy. It was the day Japan launched its strike against Pearl Harbor. So the day before they invaded Thailand, they attacked Pearl Harbor. Author Max Hastings, writing in his book Inferno, The World at War, wrote, quote, The assault on Pearl Harbor prompted rejoicing throughout the Axis nations. Japanese Lieutenant Izuma Tatsuro wrote exultantly in the glorious news of the air attack on Hawaii. Mussolini, with his accustomed lack of judgment, was delighted. He thought Americans stupid. The United States, quote, a country of Negroes and Jews, end quote, as did Hitler, end quote, by Max Hastings. And as ugly as those words were by Mussolini and Hitler, it was ultimately America with her racial diversity winning the war. But, as we all know, racial diversity for the sake of racial diversity will never be enough to change the hearts of man. It will take the power of the gospel to truly help us to begin seeing others in the right light. And in today's scripture passage, Jesus highlighted the prevailing racial outlook by identifying the woman as a dog in verse 27. It is not today, so it was not in those days a compliment to call someone a dog. The woman in this passage is not even from Greece, but the gospel writer in the original language identifies her as a Greek because for the Jews who believed that they were God's chosen people, there were only two groups of people in this world, Jews and others. The others they, they labeled as Hellenos, Greeks. And the reason for this story's inclusion in both Matthew's and Mark's gospel, and the reason why the woman's ethnic background is highlighted is nothing short of revolutionary, both then and now. You see, in granting the woman's request and healing her daughter, Jesus begins to annihilate racism by demonstrating to his disciples that his kingdom will eventually break forth out of Israel into all nations. See, what Jesus knew then, his apostle Paul later will discover. That Jesus would die to crucify racism on the cross and thereby reconcile every nation, not only to God, but also to each other 
through his shed blood. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.16. The Apostle Paul writes, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So the question is, how was racial hostility ultimately put to death? How was it destroyed? And the answer, by Christ's death on the cross. And that is real powerful stuff. It means that as Christians, we need to lead the way and live out practically that which Christ has already accomplished for us positionally. Let me just repeat that. We as Christians need to live out practically that which Christ has already accomplished for us positionally on the cross. Jesus destroyed racism on the cross, and as Christians, we need to begin living it out. And being a racist Christian is a contradiction of terms because according to the theology of the New Testament, the Savior literally was crucified so that racial hostilities would be put to death. That's what Ephesians 2.16 says. And that's the point. That's where Mark 7 is headed. This is, if you will, a preview of Ephesians 2. And the Bible, we know, ends with this truly idyllic picture of every nation, every tribe worshiping the Lamb. And that's where we're headed. In fact, if... Racism exists in your heart. Heaven's going to be quite uncomfortable for you. That's where we're headed. And this is why missionaries still go out to every nation on this planet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not only the one true uniter of mankind, but it is the only message that saves from eternal hell. Because if I simply stopped and used the gospel as a racial uniter, it would sell the gospel short. Because Ephesians 2 informs us that, yes, Christ died to end racial hostilities, but that's simply one of the reasons for which Christ died. And Christ ultimately died for the glory of God so that every nation, every tribe would worship the Lamb of God front of the throne of God. The gospel not only unites all the races together, but it saves all the races from the wrath of God, the one true gospel. And what is this gospel? Four essential points. There is a holy God who is just love and righteous. All humans are sinners deserving of hell from this God. A place of torment, the Bible says. Why are we headed for that place of torment? Because sins committed against an infinitely holy God deserve infinite punishment in hell. And so that's bad news for all of us. We're all sinners. We're all headed to hell. Whether you're in Thailand, Japan, or in America, the bottom line is, as human beings, our 
we are by nature children of wrath. We are headed to hell because we are sinners. God does not send anyone to hell for not hearing the gospel. He sends them to hell because we're all sinners. And that's why missionaries go. Because we have the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world. He so loved the world, he sent his only son Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who would believe in him. Historically, not mythically, resurrecting on the third day, which is, by the way, the reason why we're here on Sunday. Every Sunday is a mini-resurrection day. We worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday because Christ rose again on the third day, historically. But here's the last point. You must personally repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This cannot be done by your family members. You have to personally, while you have time on earth, repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior. God good, man bad, Jesus saves, you believe those four core points, the gospel, believe in it, you're reborn, you're saved, you're a Christian, but then you begin living the Christian life out. And one of the ways you live out the Christian life is by destroying racism. And, and, and in doing so, in doing so, you embody Christ's ideals. This is the point of Mark 7. In healing this woman who persisted in her faith, Jesus showed his disciples, who probably with jaws wide open, couldn't believe that their rabbi had done what he did. And by the time you get to Ephesians, the Apostle Paul fully lays it out, and he says, Christ died on the cross to end all racial hostility. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you realize this, but that's the, that's the true message that's going to change the world. That's what's really going to bring all the nations together. There is no other message that I know will do it. I'm going to close today with an illustration from this summer's Olympics in Japan. You know, unbelievers often claim that the Olympic Games unite the nations like nothing else. I say sure, I think it brings a spirit of camaraderie in the opening ceremonies, but fierce competition is evident throughout the Games themselves. And at the end of it all, the nations are not ranked according to total gold medals, but instead by the number, I mean, they're not ranked according to the total of medals, they are ranked by the number of gold medals you have. And this year, the United States came in first, ahead of China by one gold medal. So that final result made the nation appreciate the contribution of gymnast Sunisa Lee. In July, the four-time Olympic medalist Simone Biles was considered a lock to win the all-around event and also help her peers win the gold in the team event. But America was shocked when Bile suddenly withdrew from the team event and the all-around event. And as a result, Team USA ended up getting the silver at the team event as Russia took the gold. 
And it seemed as if they would not gain the gold in the all-around event as well without their star gymnast, Simone Biles. But that's when Sunisa Lee, Suni Lee, stepped it up. To the shock of the world, she performed brilliantly and narrowly edged out Brazil to bring America the gold in the women's all-around event. And the New York Times, here's how they reported it. They said this, Lee's gold in the all-around, which determines the best overall gymnast, came two days after she rallied her teammates to win silver in the, in the team final. Biles had pulled out of the team event after competing on the vault, the first of four events. On the next event, the uneven bars, Lee decided to perform her hardest bars routine, the most difficult in the world, instead of the easier one she had planned because she knew the team would need every tenth of a point to win a medal. Her 15.4 score on the bars was the highest score of the night. End quote from the New York Times. So you have the hardest routine, the most difficult in the world, and a resulting first place finish for the United States. Videos from our hometown of Minnesota began to come in. Warm hearts for the entire nation. But what many news outlets highlighted was that this 18-year-old Asian-American gold medalist was the daughter of a Laos immigrant refugee woman who came to the United States with absolutely nothing, fleeing communism. With no biological father in the picture, Sunisa worked hard and eventually won the gold wearing the stars and stripes. And as a result, when the Olympics finally ended in Tokyo, the, finally, the final tally came out, United States first place with 39 gold medals, China 38. Her gold medal turned out to be the difference maker. Hitler Mussolini again proved wrong because a racially diverse America is still a stronger America. Just as Christ knew that a racially diverse global church is a much stronger body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. We went from dogs to becoming children of God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We didn't have a seat on the table. We have a seat on the table because Jesus, you died. And through your death and resurrection, we, Gentiles, became children and heirs of Abraham. 